Revenge, Season 1, Episode 8, Treachery. Hi, and welcome to the Kowski Cast. I'm Mary. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking about Episode 8 in the first season of Revenge. How are you doing today, Laura? I'm doing all right. Got a little bit of a cold going on, so not 100%, but besides that, can't complain. (laughs) How about you? Yeah, kind of the same. I've been feeling a little bit off the past several days. Not particularly sick, but just I've not been getting as much sleep lately as I've been wanting to, and so I think that's just been putting me a little bit off my normal chipper self. (laughs) Yeah, we had a little bit of a jam-packed weekend, so... Yeah, we uh, we went to visit some of my old sorority friends at our college that we both went to, visited our brother while we were there, and, uh, you know, dealt with all the college drama that exists <laughs> that we are luckily somewhat removed from, so. Yeah, I tried to stay pretty uninvolved in it. You got a little wrapped up in a little bit of it, but... You know what? It it happens. And I think the second you graduate college, you just start to realize like how old you feel around people who are still in college. Like, even though some of the people there are my age or older, just, you know, took a fifth year of college or whatever, I still felt like like I needed to chaperone them almost. <laughs> I don't know. I know it's sad. The more and more years that I get removed from college, when I come back to visit, it's the less people that I know. And Soon it'll be once our brother graduates. I mean, it really will be like I don't know anybody. <laughs> so, oh, gosh, I know. And he's got, uh, I guess, one year left. So we've only got a year left of this. But I'll also come back for football games. Maybe I'll come back probably more than you will. But I like football games. I don't know. You don't really like them, but uh, yeah, they're not my favorite. I mean, I I I like the whole you know spirit of football games but the actual watching of the sport is not the most riveting thing for me but it's the whole tailgating and getting ready for the game and going there and inner sandman just the everything about it i i love it i I crave it how many how many days till football season (laughs) uh oh i don't know probably like 100 150 I don't know. When does football season start? Somewhere somewhere near the beginning. It's like September. Yeah. You know, yeah. end of August, September. It's been when school starts in the fall, so we've got a while. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but um anyway, so this episode was a continuation of some of the stuff that we had seen last episode, what with uh some more flashbacks about Emily and Amanda and uh, more actually getting to meet Amanda, really, because we only saw a little bit of her the first time. So I know we've mentioned this a little bit before, but <laughs> for clarity of this episode, especially, from now on, Emily is Emily Thorne, the main character of this TV show, and Amanda is the curly-haired more wild girl. We need to refer to them as the names that they are going by technically in the TV show. The difficult part is in the flashbacks. When we're discussing flashbacks, we may have to refer to them as their actual names before they traded names, you know? Oh gosh, it gets a little confusing. 
But it does. We'll try to be as clear as possible. If you've watched the episode recently, you should know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Also, I wanted to note that I think this episode is similar to the previous episode in that uh, it's just a continuation of the overall plot, whereas in the past it was really based on one new character for that individual episode. This one, again, didn't really introduce any new characters, uh, unless you want to count Amanda, who we saw previous episode but right and and this is something that i think continues through a lot of the especially later seasons the plot is centered around this whole overarching story of revenge and not so much about the individual and i think bad guys sometimes that's typical for just the start of any kind of series you know sometimes they don't Maybe they don't know exactly what direction or they want to hook people by having introducing different characters and expanding the plot line and then they can get back into just, okay, let's focus on the overall plot. Uh, we've given you enough background information that we can kind of just go from there, right? If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is probably something that TV shows like to do. Um, it can be difficult to introduce all these characters at once and this whole big plot and sometimes it's easier to sort of add them in one by one let you get to know them in the beginning and then jump into the story yeah that's true yeah we really jump into the story so on that note let's talk about our first topic sure so first we're going to talk about something that we also got a tiny little piece of in the previous episode, which is Lydia being in a coma and now having woken up. She woke up at the very end of the previous episode and she's awake now. And, uh... Yeah, they show she's in the hospital waking up and Victoria and Conrad are both there. And she seems very confused and she has no clue why she's in the hospital. She doesn't seem to remember pretty much anything from the last couple weeks. She doesn't know who Emily is. Um, yeah. She seems to know that she has had an affair with Conrad, but that so that that must have been going on for a while. We mentioned during the first episode, was this supposed to be like the first time they had been together? It seems like it must have been going on for a while because oh, no. she does remember that. I would think that they have been doing it for a while. And so in the hospital, when she wakes up and – uh, the Graysons are there, and they find out that she doesn't remember everything. They're kind of huddling together, and they're like, okay, we need to get our story straight on why Frank attacked her, if, you know, Lydia remembers that, um, or when she when she discovers that happened. They're like, we need to get our story together. Um, yeah, because I think they're also treating her right now like they're pretty sure her memory is going to come back at some point, and they need to be prepared for that. So the doctor says, oh, what she needs right now is to be around familiar people and places to try and regain some of her memory. And so Victoria decides to take her to the Grayson Manor and set her up in a bedroom there, which cracks me up because I'm like, okay, you've had this bedroom here. Why the heck is Tyler living in the pool house? Like, couldn't he be living there? <laughs> Tyler doesn't deserve to live anywhere near the house. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, but also... I guess it's kind of sad that um, it just seems that, like, Lydia, they don't show any of Lydia's family coming to see her. Maybe, maybe, maybe person assume that her family came, but uh, just that she's living with her Graysons. I mean, really, is there anybody else that she could have lived with? I mean, her former husband, her ex-husband, I know he left her, but he's not coming to see if she's okay. It just really seems like the Graysons are the only people that care. Yeah, um, 
I don't want to dig too deep just because we don't get the story of pretty much any of these people's parents or family. So, you know, where's, where's Ashley's family? We hear a little bit about Tyler's family, but haven't really seen them at all. And we'll just have to see. Yeah. I mean, I know the show wants to uh, create drama and create these situations where, of course, Lydia is going to be moving back into the Graysons to recover. I mean, it makes sense. It makes the show interesting. So I'm all for it. Right. So really, the whole plot with Lib- with Lydia, it's a pretty small one, but mostly what happens is over the course of the episode, which probably takes place over, you know, two, three, four days, somewhere in, in that vicinity, um, she starts to piece back a little bit of her memory, mostly triggered by Emily. The first time she sees her, she doesn't have any clue who she is. Yeah, and that, was, second- that was a big thing. That was a big thing. I, th- I, I would think that she didn't remember Emily at all. She, right. Like, I think they were talking about, oh yeah, I, I moved, you know, I, I live right beside the Graysons. I don't, did she even remember that she sold her place? I, no, I she said she remembered the beach house, but she doesn't remember Emily at all. So, but then she sees Emily again later and she goes, oh my gosh, she was in a picture uh, from the party. Uh, from the New, Year's, New, Year's, party. New Year's Eve party. Right. It's kind of interesting that, uh, so she lost her whole memory and she can't remember Emily, but she does remember something that she didn't remember previously. Like, she didn't she didn't piece together Who, that you know, information. Memories before. can be triggered by random things. And in this case, yeah, she's just triggered by that. She doesn't, it's not like thinking of that floods back all of this stuff about Emily, all it does is bring back this one element of something that she remembers, which is from this picture. And so, luckily, because Emily's are sort of already on to this, she has Nolan Photoshop her face out of this picture, and then she ends up slipping it back in Lydia's yeah, I stuff. Thought, I thought it was genius. She even, so... Um, she, Emily's helping Ashley pack up some of Lydia's stuff, and uh, Emily comes in with one of the boxes, and you had seen previously that she stuck the old picture that she has now edited, and um, she stuck it into the moving box, and she comes in to Victoria and Lydia into the room, and she's like, um, I want Lydia to remember everything she's forgotten. Like, she just says those lines that you're like, okay, she's got something planned. She, she's yeah. got something up her sleeve, and, um... Yeah, sure enough. I love that sort of thing. And but obviously, but honestly when they looked at the picture, it didn't look like they had really edited it that much. I mean, it, it still kind of looked like her, didn't it? Or Yeah, but I think they wanted it to look enough like her to where Lydia could have just gone, "Wow, you know, they look similar. I mean, it's clearly not the same person, but they look similar enough to where I could have maybe mistaken her from this." That's true. You know, for this person. But anyway, so this Victoria latches on to this piece of information because she's also has a lot of suspicions of Emily. And we saw in the last episode that Frank's last words before he was killed were, uh, Emily is not who you think she is. And so that piece together with this piece of information from Lydia, uh, really sets up, sets up Emily poorly. Um, because Victoria is now even more suspicious. So Victoria goes through all these pictures and she's not able to find anything that has Emily in it. But she does end up finding the picture that, you know, used to have Emily in it. And that's what they look at. So for now, it seems like Emily is safe. Victoria is obviously still a little suspicious about the Frank thing. But that actually gets cleared up later on. So moving yeah, I, along. I guess, I guess that really was most of the Lydia 
um, topic, except for the one other thing I wanted to mention was that it seems that, so where Lydia is sleeping, where, what her room is, it's like right off of the main foyer entrance, I think, um, and she does overhear Victoria and Conrad um, talk about Frank and Frank's death. They kind of did show that, right? Yes, and so at the end of the episode, uh, Conrad and Victoria are having an argument where Conrad says something like, you better hope something about Frank or Lydia because, you know, we, you, he, he's thinking that Victoria sent Frank to go hurt Lydia, or he's at least claiming that that's what some people may think. Because meanwhile, there's this whole investigation going on, which we'll get to in a second. So yeah, that really wraps up the Lydia topic. Basically, it's that she overhears that Victoria might have had a hand in how she was hurt. That's true. Oh, and I guess that was a spoiler. Not really a spoiler, but um, the next topic about, um, well. We can talk about it now. Let's do that. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, okay, the, so other, the big, another... other big thing that I know I had talked about last episode, I'm like, is he, is Frank dead or is he not? Yeah, yeah, Frank is dead. Frank is very dead. Yeah. Yep, I said Frank he was dead. dead. You get hit in the head with a tire iron that many times, you're dead. Well, I know. Um, also, you fall off of a three-story building, um, land on a car, you're dead too. Oh, wait. No, you're not. You know, that's why I'm like, I never know if people yeah, but, are dead but there's, or not. There's a, well, okay, yeah. I mean, most people who fall out of a building like that would die, but she landed in such a way where she could theoretically have been okay. You're getting hit in your skull. Like, how yeah, do you survive that's, that? That's, that's really know. bad. So, and that's kind of how the episode opens up, is Emily and Amanda are in a car driving, and Emily is mad at Amanda that uh, that Amanda took the the step of, uh, I've got this covered with Frank, to a whole other level by killing him. Um, Which shows that uh, Emily is not a fan of direct violence in that way. She wants to destroy these people's lives, but she doesn't have any desire to be a you know, hardened criminal in that way. Yeah, kind of with, like, blackmailing them or somehow affecting their future success. But in no way did she want to really physically harm them, I'd say. And uh, yeah. Amanda, she killed him, so... So, yeah, so the main thing with Frank is that there's this investigation going on because they have found, the detectives have found Frank's body, and they're trying to figure out who killed him. His body was found what, 200 miles away or 100 miles away or something like that? Yeah, it's but, like 250 or something like that. But his car was only a half a mile away. So I think what happened was Amanda, the um, the person who's, you know, pretending to be Amanda, Amanda killed him, stole his car, dumped his body out somewhere near-ish to where she killed him or in between where she killed him and in here. Because Amanda was not at a strip club nearby. She was probably in another country or sorry country um another state or at least another part of new york and so she drove all the way to the hamptons and then dropped the car on the side of the road somewhere near right where emily and the graysons live and then walked to emily's house is what we're supposing happened i mean the police are going to be able to trace fingerprints off the car you would think let's hope that emily has somehow gone back and <laughs> Fixed True. all that. She did do several things in this episode to form a great alibi, though. So what she did is she took Amanda to Nolan's house. And then, the, so her alibi is that she was asleep with Daniel in her house. 
Amanda came. She really quickly took Amanda to Nolan's house, then went to the fish market because she knew going to a fish market, they would put a stamp on the fresh fish saying what time you buy it and then put that in the fridge. So she has an alibi for the past several hours. There's a little yeah. detour in there, obviously, but that part is so quick that her alibi is still sound. So, yeah, these detectives are going around and they question Conrad. Uh, I'm assuming they question, yeah, they question Victoria at some point, but we don't see that. And then they end up showing up to uh, Emily's house and Daniel's there. And she has to give her alibi and explain what her relationship with Frank was like. And it's very interesting. I forgot about this. She tells the detectives about Frank coming to her house and threatening to expose her secrets. But the great part of all this is that she has a secret that fits in both with what Frank told Victoria about Emily not being who she thought it was, and that makes herself look even more endearing in Daniel's eyes. Yep, yeah, no, it's perfect. I was really impressed with her right when she goes inside she sees the detectives i mean she's no hesitation no flinching or anything she goes in there and she's like what frank he's dead and I, she yeah she knew frank she didn't pretend that she didn't know him but she didn't pretend that she didn't know him she didn't pretend anything um she did decide to uncover two pieces of information though one which was that she told daniel and the detectives that she had been in foster care and had attacked her foster parent, which was the probable reason, you know, of what Frank could have been saying that she's not the, uh, she's not who the Graysons think she is. Yeah, I mean, that's she just told, a coincidence she told, because she, she told didn't Daniel know that, that she was in juvie. That was a big thing, right? And then the other part that she mentioned was uh, she mentioned something about. Frank being upset because he had just been fired by Conrad, which is great for Emily because it makes the detectives probably more suspicious of Conrad. And this whole time she's trying to frame Conrad for Frank's murder. The second she found out that Frank was killed, she wants to try and frame Conrad. And we see her getting Frank's phone, which Nolan did something to it, and I don't remember what it was, but he did something that cleaned off any evidence that um, Amanda had taken it. And he she put that in the Grayson's yard at the end of the episode. So we're seeing that she's trying to plant this uh, evidence it, near the Grayson's house. Uh-huh. And something that came out while the detectives were um, interrogating her was that Daniel discovers that Victoria has been kind of keeping tabs on Emily or having Frank kind of uh, following Emily. So Daniel gets really mad at Victoria, gets really mad at his mom. And at the end, he said, like, Mom... You were the last person that I would defend, and now you've lost me too. Because, of course, Conrad and Victoria are having a fight. Charlotte's never really been a huge fan of her mom, and now Daniel's like, nope, I'm moving, I'm leaving. Yeah, and we see that Charlotte's really upset because there's this great, there's this great subplot where Declan is trying to get things going with him and Charlotte. And oh, yeah. uh, it's it's just <laughs> so funny watching these two brothers relate and Jack like trying to be a father figure, but also trying to be the cool brother and let Declan live his life. Declan and Charlotte are only 17 years old. And so he's sort of awkwardly trying to, you know, give them the sex talk without actually doing it. And uh, he's just kind of like, you know, warning him about she comes from a rich family, blah, blah, blah. And I love at the end, Declan has set up this like dinner where he's like made chicken or something. 
thing and then uh, and lit a candle. And then Charlotte shows up and she's just sad and she ends up, you know, crying to him because she's she found out from her dad that um, her dad and her mom, well, that Conrad is now moving out of the house, which we saw at the end of the last episode. Although he's quote unquote moving out of the house and yet he still is always around. <laughs> So it's like, exactly. how much no, does this really matter? It was, uh Declan was so sweet. Charlotte comes in to go to Declan's place and she's visibly upset and she's just like, he's just like, what's wrong? And, and she said, can we just sit and talk? And she's she's just crying and he just comes and comforts her. Uh, boyfriend goals. I know. It's adorable. But <laughs> anyway, so okay, maybe Declan's growing on me a little bit. Um... Yeah, Declan is great. He's like, he's comforting to her. He's like romantic. I don't know. I think he's, he's way perfect. beyond his years, man. 17. Declan is just the best. And I love him. <laughs> Hashtag Deacon. Guys my age aren't even like him. So <laughs> oh, he's gosh. a special one. Yeah. Um. So that's. That's also the most part of the Frank plotline, and then the rest of the episode is centered around Amanda coming back into town, or into town for the first time, I guess, and she is a very interesting character. She is (laughs) problematic because she's sort of hot-headed, and you can tell very emotional, and sort of younger and naive in that way, where you can tell that she really almost, you know, lovingly adores Emily and just wants to be loved by Emily and just wants to be included and, and treated right. And you see her, you know, get upset and then get happy and then you know, have these well, mood that's, swings. That's and- what I was going to say. She's like hot and cold. At one second, she's like to Emily, like, you know, I don't like to be told what to do. Oh, I love you, sister. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't keep up. Yeah. And, and I like that about her. I think that she's very interesting. And we actually see... Several flashbacks throughout the episode. We see flashbacks of Emily and Amanda fighting while they were both in juvie. And then we see the warden that we met in the previous episode talking with Emily, Emily, who is at that time Amanda, and uh, with the black hair, you know. And well, she's yeah, talking warden to her. talking to Emily, just saying, like, you have a lot, of, you, have a, you have a future, a bright future. Yeah, you're the um, smartest girl in here. You're definitely exactly. smarter than that Emily Thorne over I there. I know. She totally just, like, I'm just going to say Amanda. I'm just going to use their names. Okay. Stick with Emily. I'm gonna stick with Amanda. So yeah, the warden's like talking to Emily and just like points over to Amanda, who's like uh, sweeping or mopping, and she's like, "Yeah, she's got no future." Which I mean, come on, you're not really supposed to. Okay, she doesn't say she has no future. She just says basically she's giving advice to this girl, who I think she looks at as you know someone she's mentoring, and she says, "You know, you can mold her you can just show her kindness and friendship and she will be loyal to you and i think that's what she wants and then we see another flashback later which is after emily has gotten out of juvie and we see that it looks like manda has just gotten out of juvie and so emily comes back and she's got it's funny actually she has long wavy hair and that's probably the closest like the most similar they ever look yeah they do look yeah, they do, look, they do look more similar at that point. And so she gives uh, she gives Amanda a bunch of money, which is $500,000. Yeah, half a million. Yeah, which is, you know, probably a pretty decent amount of money, but something that a sort of hothead kind of wild child could probably blow out pretty quickly. Also. Oh, yeah, exactly. She's like, 
she's like, I have a half million dollars for you, but also a favor. And you know, she's hinting that we need to switch identities. Right. And we see also throughout this episode that Amanda really likes being connected with Emily. She likes being Amanda Clark. It's the thing that connects them. And she just wants family and she just wants friendship and attention. And it's very complicated, obviously, her being back in town. And uh, part of me feels bad for her because, you know, you have this person – this friend that you thought you had, and you've done this huge favor for them, and you just want to be loved, and they're they're seeming more exasperated by you. And I know that it's for her best interest. Emily, I think, does care about Amanda and is trying to send her off to Paris, you know, to, and get her a new identity for her own good because she's just killed someone and she needs to get her away. And Amanda Clark showing up right now and being friends with Emily is a difficult situation, you know. <laughs> Do you think that, like, basically Amanda says? It's worth the risk of me staying here in the Hamptons um, where I could possibly get caught for the crime that I committed. And you have to go back to, well, not juvie now, but go back to prison. You think for her that's that's worth the risk because I want to be here with Emily and possibly with new people and new lovers and this and that. Like, sh- that's, that's what's most important to her. Not that she uh, doesn't get caught, doesn't get in trouble. That's okay. You know, I feel like... Is she kind of desperate in a way? I think so. I think she's also scared. She's never left the country. She doesn't want to change her name and start her life over and do all these things. I think she sort of acts like she's this tough, adventurous person. But I think deep down, she has been waiting her whole life to be able to be, you know, around Emily and find out where she is. And now that she is, I think she doesn't want to lose that right away. I think there is a small part of her also that is maybe interested in Jack. (laughs) And Jack, yeah, maybe like a tough exterior. She comes across like a tough exterior, but really she's sensitive and maybe a little, I don't know if I say insecure, but needy or, well, I'm sure she was in juvie in the beginning, so she's had some rough, probably had a rough childhood, rough life, um, and yeah, she sees a future or something good with hanging around Emily and... Yeah, Yeah, and um, so that really wraps up the character of Amanda. We see that she was supposed to have been gotten on this plane and sent away. At the very end, we notice that she didn't leave, and instead she goes back to Emily's house. But Emily is, I think at the time, like, making out with Daniel, and so she's like, oh, I don't feel included right now. And then she goes to the only other person that she knows right now, which is Jack, who she met earlier, and... As far as I know, at this point, Jack still doesn't know who she is. Doesn't know that she is Amanda Clark because if he found out, he'd probably freak out. Yeah, and, true. Uh, yep. She, she, Amanda doesn't. Well, a couple things are interesting. One, yeah, Amanda has yet to tell Jack um, her name, and also when Emily comes to the pool, a lot of the the plot was at a pool at Nolan's pool. Emily comes um, to see Nolan, and Nolan's not there, but Jack and Amanda are there. Amanda and Emily act like they don't know each other. They've never met in front of Jack. Do they? I don't know. I read it differently. I read it I thought, like... I thought it... I thought that's how... That's how I read it. I don't know, because Jack doesn't say like, Oh, hi, Emily, this is so-and-so. I think that he sort of assumes that since this is one of Nolan's friends and Emily shows up, that Emily might know them. I'm not sure. We'll have uh, to wait till the next epi- episode to see if that's explained. True. But well, the, the other last thing I wanted to say that was interesting was that, so Amanda is sent to Nolan's house, Nolan's pool, because Nolan's kind of babysitting her, and he pieces 
things together and discovers that Amanda was the one who killed Frank. I think that was a big thing, too. Well, that- he saw blood splatter on Amanda's jacket, and then Frank's wallet fell out of her jacket. So That's true. And then, it wasn't and, that difficult. And then Nolan, like, drags Amanda to Emily's place and, like, what the heck is going on? Uh, so that is out in the open. Nolan knows everything. Yes, Nolan knows everything, and he's, once again, not thrilled to be involved in this, even though the first three episodes he spent begging to be involved in this. This is what is confusing about Nolan right now. Also, I'm getting used to his weird, long hair. Oh, yeah, long hair. It's it's fine on him. But, yeah, he's, like, I feel like it's, like, you, what, you want what you can't have, and then once you have it, you don't want I don't know. It's like something he, like that. He's just uh, exasperating. But yeah. So there's a lot of frustrating parts of this episode. You know, when Jack and Amanda and Emily are all there, there's some tension there because I think Emily is thinking, you know, is worried. I think Emily is somewhat worried that, um, you know, Amanda and Jack might fall for each other. And she, I think she has feelings for Jack. She's just been repressing them and because she's got to keep up the charade with Daniel. So Amanda being here, much like Jack, much like Declan, Amanda is another wild card that Emily had not planned for and was not is not someone that she can really control, as we've seen by this episode. Exactly. There's a lot of variables or a lot of unknowns, a lot of unknowns. And uh, that really wraps up the episode for the most part. It While a lot of things happened, not a whole lot that was... Uh, that took a while to explain. The only other really big piece of information and uh, thing that is complicating for some people is that, so Victoria confronts Lydia with this speech that Lydia wrote for the, I think it was the Open Arms Charity Ball or whatever that was a couple episodes ago. And it was the original speech Lydia was going to give that exposed the Graysons and exposed them for the downing of Flight 197. Yeah, I'm really surprised that Victoria gave that to her. Well, I think she just assumed, look, her memories are probably going to come back at some point. Let's just go ahead and confront them so that she can shape, you know, Lydia into the correct response. So she basically said, Lydia, here, do you remember that you're going to say this? Lydia goes, no, I don't remember I was going to say that at all. I'm so sorry. I would never do something like that. And Victoria's basically like, oh, it's okay. It's all in the past now. So it's all wrapped up. She then shreds that letter later. That is what Tyler pulls out of the trash can, and Tyler is piecing this letter back together. So at the very end of the episode, you see that Tyler now knows, well, knows that Lydia at least was going to say that the Graysons did this thing. And uh, I think up until this point, he knows that something has been going on, but he does not know that. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I, I, I didn't catch that. I knew that Tyler was piecing together some kind of news clipping. That's what I thought, but it was really the letter. Well, that... That definitely, I mean, what is, he wants to be in with the Grayson, he wants to work for Conrad, but, oh wait, no, but he's been telling Ashley he wants to No, he wants to, he wants to work, he wants to work for Conrad, but he doesn't care how he goes about it. He just wants to become indispensable for, with Conrad, and I think he even literally says those words to Conrad at some point, because he's been sort of being his secretary and helping him out and interning for him. The thing is that Daniel decides to quit his job at the stowaway, which, let's face it, wasn't going well anyway, and decides to go ahead and make nice with his father and offer to do this um, internship. 
And almost immediately, Conrad's like, yes, yes, my boy, come in. Awesome. Sounds good. And Tyler's very jealous. Tyler's very jealous of Daniel's life. And we see Tyler and Ashley bonding over the fact that they feel like they haven't been mean enough yet, basically. Yeah. Do you think they really got it on? Oh, right. That's another funny part of this episode was all the walk of shames. Yes. Charlotte, Charlotte comes home from being at Declan's where he they quote unquote slept together. And by that, slept together, I think is what we're supposed to get out of that. Uh, slept in the same bed. I don't know. Okay. Just and slept. yeah, I think that's according to what Declan said. I think that's the most we're going to get. And Ashley. I is, hope. They're 17. <laughs> Ashley <laughs> is also wearing the same dress from the night before and uh, leaving Tyler's pool house. The funny part about this is, okay, so she's clearly at Tyler's pool house. She hears Emily and Daniel talking and then comes out and says, oh, you didn't see me here, whatever. First off, so Tyler just like left and left her there. And then second off, you would think she would like hide and wait until they leave. I don't know. It's pretty funny. I mean, yeah, I thought this funny. I mean, I thought this episode had some funny moments, some funny phrases. I was laughing. Yeah, it definitely, it. it definitely was funny at some points. And uh, and then, of course, we had some pretty good quotes in it. So the opening quote of the episode was, There's an old saying about those who cannot remember the past being condemned to repeat it. But those of us who refuse to forget the past are condemned to relive it. And then that sort of echoed at the end of the episode with the quote that says, the past is a tricky thing. Sometimes it's etched in stone, and other times it's rendered in soft memories. But if you meddle too long in deep, dark things, who knows what monsters you'll awaken. And right when that was said, there's this weird moment where Emily is climbing into bed, and I guess we're supposed to assume that she had, like, gone to bed and then left and then came back or something, and we see that she lays in bed and you see that Daniel ha- opens his eyes like he had been awake the whole time or something and noticed that she was gone. I don't know if that was just supposed to be like a nice little suspenseful moment for that quote while it was going over or if we're actually supposed to believe that he's like suspicious of her. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he he kind of has some reasons to be more and more suspicious of Emily just with the fact that, I mean, she didn't tell him from the beginning that she went to juvie you know he, he's learning a lot about her here and there and and yeah this is it's kind of sneaky for her to just to leave in the middle of the night and come back i don't know we'll see what happens but i feel like he's he's smarter than he appears and he's been really nice and just kind of go with the flow and like oh she's amazing but i think she's done some stuff that makes it reasonable for him to now be having some doubts Yeah, I agree. I mean, she's definitely has a history, whether or not she wants to admit it. I mean, and they they said from the beginning, right? It was like, we're gonna be completely honest with each other. And is it lying if you don't tell a person something? Is that lying? You know? I don't know. I mean, let's say, let's say you were, you had some sort of, you know, injury as a child. Do you need to tell someone that when you meet them? You know, she did something as a child that she regrets. She went to juvie for it. She's an adult now. That's been 10 years or whatever. Like, I don't know if you well, need to reveal all those kind of secrets, but... Maybe it depends on if you say we're going to be open and honest. I mean, being honest is one thing, but being open, open is kind of, I'm going to share with you everything. I mean, the, this time she said that was ironic in the first place, because we know she's not going to be open and honest with Daniel about anything anyway. I know. Anyway, that really wraps up the episode for this week. Feel free to send us comments and questions on our website or on Twitter at KalskiCast. That's Cal with a K. You can also watch our episodes on our YouTube channel, which is also KalskiCast with a K. If you'd like to refresh your memory on some of the images from the show, that's the best way to listen to our podcast. 
Yep, and we would love five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes if you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, that really is the best way for people to find our show in the future. And um, you can also leave us reviews on our website as well. Yeah, and comments there. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next Monday for our rewatch of Episode 9. For now, we're the Kowski Sisters. Peace out.